right, you guys. What a week. I feel like it's been a week with a lot of news, some heartening, some disheartening. It's also been a toasty week, gearing up for even more heat this weekend. I'm here with David Figler and Leila Muhammad. And today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're talking about new prison rules, which have something to do with crayons and markers, the always baffling ranked choice voting ballot question, it's even hard to say, and the Gaming Control Board's mysterious black book, which I am curious to learn more about. It's Friday, September 2nd, 2022. I'm Sonia Cho Swanson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. All right, so topic number one, a new policy that was proposed for Nevada's prisons. Layla, tell us about that. Yeah, so the Nevada Department of Corrections is proposing a ban on certain mail, uh, like greeting cards and colored drawings, essentially only wanting black and blue ink on white paper to be sent in to prisoners. This is supposed to limit contraband that is being sent in through the mails. They're saying that some contraband is being liquefied and soaked into the paper. But during the proposal, they did not submit any data to back this Ooh, up. surprise. And Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I've got feels about the Nevada Department of Corrections under the current administration, so I'm going to just say stuff like that all the time. Ooh, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, please continue, Layla. Um, This policy would implement a more digitized system where the officers would scan the mail and it would be available in kiosks on tablets in common areas for the prisoners. Um, A lot of advocates are saying that this is really anti-family. And even though Sisolak has kind of put it on ice, he asked the commissioners to reconvene with more data. The advocates say that the prison is already sending back mail to families. Oh, wow. And so even though this isn't supposed to be in effect, it kind of already is. David, thoughts? <laughs> where, where to begin? Let's take the entire Friday, shall we? I am, I am a very harsh critic of Governor Sislak's appointed head of the Nevada Department of Corrections, William Daniels. I believe that there was a gap that needed to be filled and that they did not go with somebody who was in any way progressive or thoughtful or humanistic, but instead a career bureaucrat who seemingly has one main goal, which is to continue the dehumanization of people who are incarcerated, imposing the most stringent, ridiculously arbitrary and hurtful policies that make the already tough life in prison worse for not only the people who are there, but their families as well. So that's what I think in a nutshell. And again and again and again, if you Google Nevada Department of Corrections in the Nevada Current or the Nevada Independent, who are doing amazing reporting both on the Nevada Department of Corrections, you will see another foible, folly, or colloquially F up from this particular prison administration like no other that I can remember as long as I paid attention to it. Yeah, well, to what you were saying, David, I was reading up in the Nevada Current and the Nevada Independent, and both articles actually questioned the efficacy of this. I mean, it seems like, uh, here in the Nevada Current, an article by our friend MJ Lyle cites data that says that in Florida, 
out of the 3.1 million contraband items that actually entered the prison system, only 1% came in through the mail. And so stemming the flow of children's drawings in envelopes is not necessarily going to actually stop contraband from coming into the prison system. I think that the statistics prove out that most contraband that shows up in the prison system comes from prison employees. And so, you know, to either distract from that or just continue on this path of, I I mean, this is a bureaucrat who is a a journeyman. He's been in a lot of different prison facilities. Uh, This is the first big one that he's in charge of. You know, we have over 11,000 people incarcerated in our small state. Um, It's just miscue after miscue after miscue. And, And I'm glad that the local media is holding him accountable. I just wish that that was at the highest levels of, um, the executive branch to hold their own appointee accountable as well. It's sad because I have a lot of clients who are in there and a lot of family members are hurting bad because they see their people slipping away. Let me jump in on that because one of the solutions that the prison officials proposed was digitizing the mail coming in. And I just got to thinking about the times that I've received a physical piece of mail versus like a scanned or email piece of mail. Layla, when's the last time you got a physical actual piece of mail in the mail and how did that make you feel? Oh, I I think it was a wedding invitation um, recently, which was lovely because a lot of the previous wedding invitations I got were like digital evites. And so getting that save the date um, or invitation, it was like heartwarming and it felt really nice. And the issue with digitizing anything, especially with whatever system that that they're going to adopt is it's not the same as holding something that your loved one wrote or your loved one drew. It's seeing it on a screen that could be badly scanned and poorly digitized. It, it's not the same. Something that the Nevada Independent points out is that this could be another way to create revenue for the prisons Ah. and use this system. It's called MailGuard. The advocates are saying it's anti-family for something that's one of the only things that is so tangible, like mail and receiving Mm -hmm. something in your hands that your family touched and your family wrote and your children drew. It's hurtful. And I'm sure they print them out for a fee or whatever the scheme is. It's never going to cost the prison money. And if there is a chance to charge the inmates and their family, they will take it as is common practice under this administration. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and and to be fair, it is true that you can send drugs through paper, right? Any drug that can be dissolved in liquid and, and soaked in paper can be sent through the mail. So like meth or fentanyl, even LSD, I think historically has occasionally been sent and distributed through paper that you then chew to get the high. But I think my question then is, if that is truly an issue in prisons and smuggling and contraband, then there are other solutions. I mean, I've seen prisons consider this kind of near-infrared scanner. I think there's one called like VeroVision or something that prisons could could use to then scan the paper and see if there are drugs present in that paper. So if that solution exists, why was that not turned to or at least examined? Well, I mean, you're presuming that they want to find a solution that doesn't hurt the inmates. 
And, you know, there we go. and, and yeah. that always seems to be the go-to. Look, there's a lot of things that happen in there. The thing that we don't do is say, why is there a desire to have drugs in a prison? How can we stem that? How can we engage in programming or getting the kinds of folks who are addicted off of their addictions? Or, you know, those are humanistic conversations, not what this prison administration does. Oh, let's just stop all kids from being able to send drawings to their to their mommies or daddies because, you know, this happened this one time or it could potentially happen. And they do that a lot. Right. Oh, this potentially could happen. So let's just, you know, overcorrect by making it worse for the people who are in there. And when you make things worse, and I, I believe that the articles that you refer to, Sonia, talked about that. When you do things like mess with people's mail, mess with their connections with their families, uh, not only does it make it a, a harsher environment, but that harsher environment bubbles over and you see a lot of prison like rebellion and riots and discontent stemming from those type of decisions. And it just doesn't seem like any of that's being considered here. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons that the Department of Corrections is saying that they need to implement this is because colored ink and color in mail is hiding the stains of the illicit drugs. So I don't know if the infrared scanning that you brought up, Sonia, would help with that, but it's telling for me that they didn't bring up data along with their proposal about how much this is actually affecting contraband numbers. Yeah, very, very telling. Well, let's move on to our next topic, which is kind of a wonky one. Ballot question three has to do with how we vote. So basically, we're going to vote about how we're going to vote in the future. And I just read and watched an amazing explainer from the Nevada Independent. Second shout out of the day to the Indie. So our friend Joey Lovato over at the Indie does the podcast, Indie Matters, and their video editor, Tim, put together a fantastic explainer that I feel like I finally understand what ranked choice voting actually means. Okay, ranked choice voting. Any thoughts? Any any questions? Going to have to read up a lot on candidates. Yeah, I rarely would find myself, I think, in the position of quoting, let alone agreeing with former half governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, and former vice presidential candidate, Sarah Palin. But it, it's crazy. It's confusing. I think she said something like that. It, it it does seem kind of confusing. Voting should be as easy as possible, as convenient as possible, as safe as possible. Uh, a lot of people have made very, very false allegations about the safety and security of our uh, election system here in our own state. Uh, I think adding new things like this into the mix is going to fuel a lot of that. I'll try to give my best distillation of what I understood from Joey's video at the Indy. All right. So, okay. The three of us, we are running for office. We are running for the mayor of Flavortown. Okay. You're my number one pick, Sonia. You're my number one pick also, Layla. It's a tie. Yes. I'm in third. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So candidate A is Layla Muhammad. What party are you from, Layla? I'm from the Hell's Kitchen party. Okay. All right. Candidate B is Sonia Cho Swanson. I am from the um, pizza party. Okay. And candidate C, David Figler. Co- again? Cocktail party. Nice. Okay. All right. So we've got three parties. And unfortunately for Sonia Cho Swanson, she is a small party. Candidate the pizza party is actually a pretty small minor party in our in our little town of Flavortown. Okay. Well, pineapple is very divisive. It's a very div- it, divisive position that you've taken. 
candidate. And I just, I had to take a stand. I actually truly do like pineapple on pizza. Don't hate me. All right. You're losing votes. Okay, so we've got. Okay, go ahead. I know. I did. I did. Well, as it turns out, if we go into our race and one of us, say Layla, wins over 50% of the vote, she's automatically winning. That's just done and done. All right. But let's say that the three of us, none of us actually come out with over 50% of the vote, right? Then you look at the numbers and you say, okay, who's got the least number of votes out of the three of us? And if that's me, poor little pineapple pizza party candidate, Sonia Cho Swanson, then what you do is you look at the people who voted for me. And the people who voted for me in ranked choice voting had the option to not only vote for me as number one, but to also vote for somebody else as number two and also vote for somebody else as number three. So say that like half of my voters voted for David Figler as number two and say 10% voted for Layla as number two. Those 10% of voters would go to Layla and the, you know, whatever percentage of my voters voted for David as number two would go to David. Okay. All right. So my, my voters can be divided up. Are we making sense so far? I'm, I'm with you. I'm not loving it, with but me? I'm with you. So essentially my voters, they don't get their first choice as me, but they might get their second choice. All right. So now in round two, because you got a bump from my voters who liked you as number two, David, you are now up over the 50% mark. You're at 52% of the total vote now and the cocktail party wins. Or say we're not at 50%. Then we go to a round three and eliminate the next smallest candidate and so on and so forth until we have an over 50% majority winner. A lot of tabulating, tabulating, tabulating. A lot of tabulating. And then a lot of tabulating. absentee votes and all the other stuff has to be done as well. And, and to my understanding, there can be like an exhausted vote where voters don't vote, don't have a second or third choice. Yeah, you, you're not required to put in your second. If you're just like, I am all for... Layla Muhammad and the Hell's Kitchen Party and I yeah. won't go for anyone else. Yeah. Then that's that's what you can do as well. Lessons from Alaska. What what happened there and is it a cautionary tale for Nevada or is it something we should be like embracing as showing us the light? Well, I will say that their first election with this new system just happened a special election. What do we know about that, Layla? So what happened in Alaska was really interesting, where the Democratic nominee, Mary Peltola, pulled through in the first round with 40 percent of the votes and the other 31 percent went to Sarah Palin and another 29 percent chose a Republican businessman. And so according to the rules, the Republican businessman got thrown out of the running and the remainder of his votes were split up between Peltola and Palin, even though... Palin got 50% of his votes. There were enough votes that was 29% that went to Peltola that kept her above Palin. She ended up receiving 51% of the votes while Palin received 49%. And so Mary Peltola becomes the first Alaskan native to win wow. that seat. Wow. What's interesting has been seeing like in the news some Republicans already crying foul, even though the third party candidate gave more of his votes to Palin. Mm -hmm, exactly. So what are we thinking here? I mean, David, do you think there are lessons here for Nevada? <sighs> no one's going to be happy. <laughs> mm. I think there's going to be all sorts of allegations M matching it with sort of this open primary thing as well. There's a lot of criticism out there that 
the gamesmanship that many people are are already um, displeased with in campaigns and what we've kind of arrived, the moment we've arrived at in, in American politics might further be made into this sort of monster rally of votes and and campaigns and and I don't know you know it, it definitely altered the status quo and I don't think that that's always a bad thing it's just a little more comfortable to live with the status quo so well yeah I, I, I feel like the Nevada Dems came out against ranked choice voting came out against this question I mean I I, I would imagine they're not a fan of some of the unpredicted unpredictable qualities this brings to the elections this you know upcoming elections yeah unpredictability is the enemy of most campaign people <laughs> they they'd like to think that they have those algorithms wired yeah. and this definitely oh, i hate using the expression but it it does change the game of politics doesn't it mm-hmm. so i've been reading that we have a huge nonpartisan voter base in nevada nonpartisan voters have grown by five percent since 2020 and now make up 29% of our active registered voters. And so the question is, would those independent voters swing left or would they swing right? So even if they ended up voting for, say, a third party candidate and not for one of the two major party candidates, would their second choice then be a Demo Republican? And I think that is like the mystery that, you know, these big party candidates need to unravel if they want to decide if they support this, if they support this measure or not. I mean, this is all going on against the backdrop of really interesting patterns of changed registration in the state. I mean, the Democrats have for some time now, not always, but for some time now, held a very considerable registration lead, especially in Clark County. John Ralston over at the Nevada Independent is a regular commentator on it. I mean, he's pretty much the expert in our in our state with regard to the you know, the import of these change registration numbers, but it seems way out of control now. There's a lot of people leaving the Democrat Party and going into the Republican Party, not quite as many going the other direction, a lot of people winding up into this nonpartisan space, a lot to watch, especially as, you know, polls come out and they're also on the status quo. Of course, none of this is going to change right away. It's not going to impact elections for a while, right? It has to be on the ballot a couple of times and that's the thing. All right, so purpley Nevada perhaps even more purple than ever amidst, amidst the chaos and confusion of, of even more unpredictable voting. Onwards to the next topic. What's going on with the Gaming Control Board's Black Book, David? Okay, so here in Nevada, we had some time ago an unsavory reputation that perhaps elements of organized crime were far too heavily involved what? in the gaming scene or the gambling scene, as it was once known. Uh, and so no. Nevada had to push back a little bit, and we formed regulatory bodies that put themselves out to be the gold standard for any jurisdiction that wants to have legalized gambling. So we have the Nevada Control Board, we have the Nevada Gaming Commission, they sort of work in tandem. And one of their feature pieces is something that has been known to be called the Black Book. Now, the Black Book is a notorious list of people who are excluded from any gaming establishment. It was 
initially a lot of people who were alleged to be involved in organized crime. There was great criticism that they were focusing solely on people of Italian heritage. Hmm. That was a big controversy for a little while. There have been relatively few people who have been placed in this book, and it's supposed to be a very arduous process. It makes it a crime for those people in the book to even walk into a casino where, if spotted, they will be arrested on site and have new charges for violating this provision. You know, it's so funny when you say the black book because it sounds so dramatic. I've always imagined the gaming control board as kind of like, you know, the the Skeksis and the Dark Crystal, like <laughs> sitting around on their yeah. thrones, like, yeah. oh. Bring out the black book. It is time to inscribe a new name into the black book. The book of the dead. <laughs> Layla, have you seen The Dark Crystal? Is that before your time? Yeah, I have. Oh, good. It okay. makes me... I went another way. I was thinking about an anime called Death Note. Ooh. Um, also a black book. Names written down. Not great. Not good. Okay. So it was traditionally, up until last week, people who had some gambling or gambling-related crime in in their in their lives and then a pattern of that crime and then you know the assessment that these people are so bad that hmm. their mere presence in a casino makes everything look you know in tawdry Sketchy. and so they yeah. they have to be arrested when they come in so recently what's interesting what happened in the news recently is that there was a new addition to the black book that maybe broke the mold a little bit tell us about that yeah broke the mold a lot so the Look, and I'm not going to get into this conversation, but there is a lot of talk about mm. the ills of what is commonly referred to, and it's a big, big, big umbrella term, sex trafficking. It appears as though the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department wanted to do a test case. And this is from me watching the proceeding. So I just watched the entirety of the, because I am that geek, uh, the Nevada Gaming Commission's meeting on whether or not to admit this person that they were considering into the black book for alleged sex trafficking. This individual doesn't have any sex-related offenses uh, that he has sustained a conviction for. He went, he, he mostly, as a very, very young man who was raised in Las Vegas, had a bunch of drug offenses. He did some prison time. There was a 20-year gap between him having any kind of felony. He recently got a felony for what's called coercion. If you read the document, it looks like it was negotiated to probation, so that would suggest it wasn't that serious. It was originally charged as sex trafficking, but those charges were dropped. So lots swirling around this guy, a lot of innuendo, a lot of hearsay. So what was his connection to gaming? Was he arrested on the site of a casino? Like, what is the connection there? Also very, very tenuous for this being the test case. I'm wondering if there, I mean, the police captain of the of Metro's vice and gang unit says that he's not trying to go after the 300 or 400 a year that are doing this. He's trying to go over the ones that are doing this in a very sophisticated way. Is this a test case that they're using to go after those people who are doing it in a sophisticated way? And are they going to go back and look at the 400 sex trafficking cases over the past three years? Hmm. Yet no one really explained why Metro nominated this person. And typically it's not Metro that does it. They they picked this guy. It, it was an odd situation for me. I, I get message sending. I get test cases. I get the casino industry and Metro wanting to have an ease in keeping out people they deem to be undesirable who are doing these kind of bad things, who are engaged in actual sex trafficking 
in the casinos. I get all that. I get all the importance of all that. And I want that to be really emphasized. But this really says, okay, we've nominated this guy. We presented a very one-sided version of his life story. Uh, we now have the ease of arresting him because he is an undesirable in our eyes. And the question on why this guy never fully got answered to my mind, other than the fact that, you know, it was easy to paint him as a bad guy because he had a lot of small and big convictions, even though there was big gaps in, again, a bigger conversation of how someone in his position winds up with all those type of offenses in America. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, let's wrap it up on something a little short and sweet then. What are your plans for Labor Day weekend? Uh, I'm staying home. Just got back from vacation last week. So I'm using this Monday to just have a nice, chill Labor Day weekend. Nice. David, what about you? What are your Labor Day weekend plans? Uh, Apparently, September 3rd is National Beard Day as well. And while, you know, the keeping my beard trim and, and nice looking is indeed a labor, which I will somehow celebrate on on Labor Day weekend. Makeshift Union, which is a popular place downtown, they are having an evening to teach people how to do better with their beards. So I think I might go to there because cocktails are involved as well. Cocktail party. Hey, cocktail party. Nice. My partner and I are going to actually, so one of our friends is proposing to his partner this weekend, and so we're helping. Uh, I know, I won't say who. Are they listeners to the podcast? It's a surprise. (laughs) It's a surprise. I don't think they're listeners. No, not yet. afterwards. Yeah, but we're going to help set that up with some champagne and festivities, so we're excited about that. Fun. Oh, congrats to them. Yeah. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you both so much for this really interesting, thoughtful conversation. Yeah, thank you, Sonia. Thanks, guys. All right, folks, that is all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our lead producer is me, Sonia Cho Swanson, and our producer is Leila Mohammed. Our newsletter editor is the brilliant Scott Dickensheets, and our hosts are David Figler and Vogue Robinson. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuwuvi, the Southern Paiute people. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Seriously, just go send them this episode and tell them how much you love CityCast Las Vegas, because we know you do. Then go subscribe to our amazing morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Did we mm-hmm. mix metaphors with uh, Flavor Town and Hell's Kitchen? Is there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what a mashup that would be. I know that that'd be the ultimate party right there. I would. I would. My yeah. first thought when you said Flavor Town for some reason was Gordon Ramsay, and I was like, <laughs> uh, I just gotta go with it. You just gotta run with it. That's okay. Dissin, Stick to your guns. the UNLV grad. Uh oh. I know. <laughs> I'm a Gordon Ramsay fan. What can I say? <gasps> <laughs>